Welcome to the Rated Rabbi Sports Card Podcast, where sports cards and pop culture meet the 1984 All-Star Game. I am your host, Rabbi David Spinrad. This is episode 20, Hum Baby, a tribute to Roger Craig. So I was all set to do this episode about Bowie Kuhn, who was the outgoing commissioner of Major League Baseball in 1984. When I heard the news today about the passing of the hum baby, Roger Craig at 93. Mondays, today is Monday. Mondays are ostensibly my day off. I try not to work, and I end up doing a lot of uh, a lot of appointments. You know, one of the things that I love about collecting cards is it makes me feel young. It takes me back to a time um, when I was younger, just that little tickle of nostalgia. And I don't know that they seem like simpler times, but compared to being a grown-up, they were most, most definitely simpler times in my life. <laughs> juxtapose those simple times with being a grown-up put those halcyon days of youth to uh <laughs> up against being a middle-aged man and let me tell you something man i miss parts of my youth some parts not so much but man getting old is not for the faint-hearted Today's to-do list included, well, number one, I lost my glasses. Don't know how I lost my glasses, or else I wouldn't have lost my glasses. I lost my glasses, and if you wear glasses, you know when you don't have glasses, you can't function without glasses all that well for all that long. So I've been wearing these, I don't know, a couple of pairs ago that are good for reading, but not really, and just kind of fumbling my way around. So I got my eyes checked, got a new prescription, all right, that's not such a big deal, but then backed it up with, I needed some new shoes to walk the dog. Like, my body's not the same as it used to be. Not such a big deal. I got some new sneakers going. Uh, and then the one that made me feel quite old uh, was I went to get my ears checked this morning. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I got them checked. And yeah, <laughs> the audiologist said, yeah, you have um, mild to moderate bilateral hearing loss. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I had nothing about it for a year and a half. And guess what? If you ignore problems, they don't get better. And I, for about a year and a half, and I've had a hearing loss. I have uh, this brutal tinnitus. You can call it tinnitus, but it's my thing going on in my brain. I'm calling it tinnitus. And sometimes it drives me crazy. So I just kind of swallowed my pride and made the appointment, brought uh, Mrs. Rated Rabbi with me because I knew there'd be a whole bunch of questions I'd forget to ask. And I knew that uh, she'd, she'd pay attention and, and there'd be questions she'd have for me that I would forget the answers to and ran a bunch of tests and more or less looked the same as it did a year and a half ago. And it's been going on for, I don't know, two, two and a half years and, uh, it's not just like a gradual hearing loss. There may have been some hearing, some hearing trauma, like some kind of event at some point. But uh, yeah, man, 
it's been rough and uh today i, I kind of swallowed my pride and bit the bullet i'm a little young to need hearing hearing freaking hearing aids it's hard to even say that but i'm doing it because i'm sick of not hearing things i'm tired of missing you know when people aren't facing me or when there's it's like crowd noise i can't hear people so whatever so let's see i got my uh, new glasses i'm getting hearing aids uh well, at least I'm not Roger Craig. <laughs> at least I'm awake. God bless, man. At least I'm still alive. Let's talk about the hum, baby, because it's it's gonna it's gonna make me feel better about my fate. Roger Craig, born 1930, Durham, North Carolina. Played ball at North Carolina State. Drafted by the Brooklyn Dodgers. Roger Craig makes his Major League debut in 1955. 1955 Brooklyn Dodgers. Legendary ball club. Makes uh, 21 appearances. 10 starts. Goes 5-3. and three. Actually makes a start and gets the win against the Yankees in Game 5 of the World Series. Goes 6 and a third. Carl Erskine comes in. Pitches two and two-thirds just to make sure Alston didn't want to put too much pressure on the rookie Craig. Interesting World Series, right? Famous, famous, famous. The uh, Brooklyn Dodgers finally get over the top, finally beat the New York Yankees. World Series champions, legendary team from then to now. You know, for some reason, I never knew Mickey Mantle didn't play in that World Series. He'd he tore a hamstring trying to beat out a bunt in September of that year. Only had two pinch hits the rest of the season. Didn't play at all in the World Series. One more cool kind of tidbit I never knew. Jackie Robinson does not play in Game 7 of the 1955 World Series. And nobody really knows why. Some said he had a sore Achilles. I mean, come on. It's game seven of the World Series. You got a whole offseason. Others said he had an, a knee issue. His knee was bugging him too much. When uh, Rachel Robinson, Jackie Robinson's wife, was asked 50 years after in 2005 what the story was, she says, how am I supposed to remember? <laughs> that was 50 years ago. The rumor is, you know, that, that that year Jackie Robinson and Dodger manager Walter Alston were not getting along. And Alston benches Jackie Robinson in Game 7 of the World Series. Truth is that we'll never really know. More than likely, Alston and Robinson took it to the grave. But nevertheless, I never knew Jackie Robinson didn't play the seventh and decisive game of the 55 World Series. Let's look at a card, shall we? I think this is one of the very coolest team cards in the history of team cards. It is a 1956 Tops Brooklyn Dodgers team card. I love that. SGC on vintage. Mm, mm, mm. Looks so, so Good. I'm funny with the, uh, I like SGC, but for some reason, I only like it through 1969. When it comes to 1970s, like I, to, I don't want SGC on anything from 70 unto today. Although in my mind, I go, I go vintage through the 1980 releases. I go 1981 as a new generation. Let's call it modern. Although, my God, that's also 42 years 
ago. 81 is when they introduced FLIR and Domrus. It kind of enters a new era, entering increases in production. But I don't really, as a, as a collector, I don't really feel those production increases till, I don't know, 84, maybe 83. Certainly 85, 86, and they're off the races. 87, 88, I mean, it's nothing. Just, uh, uh, but I own, I own the inconsistency that vintage slabs to me have to be 69 and earlier, like this beautiful Brooklyn Dodgers team card. And who is there? I can see, I'm not sure if you can see it on your screen. In the second row, Erskine, Koufax, Scott, who's that guy in the suit? I didn't do the homework, don't know who that is. But then it's Roger Craig and Don Newcomb. He's right there in between Koufax and Newcomb. Pretty, pretty darn cool. And such an awesome, beautiful card. Top right hand corner. You know, I like I know it's not a lot. Jackie did put on some weight in his later years. Look at Jackie Robinson top right hand. Yeah. Still, what an what an epic, epic team. Man. Got Koufax, Jackie Robinson, Alston, Campanella, Pee-wee Reese. Oh my God. Duke Snyder. Carl Farillo with that cannon of an arm. So amazing. So, so cool. One thing that's kind of weird about this uh, 56 Tops Dodgers team card is they didn't take the team picture dead on. I've seen this team picture dead on. It's like the Tops guy couldn't get a, a good angle because maybe the Dodgers team photographer was was front and center. So he's sort of a little bit off off to the right. The picture's kind of taken at a slight angle, but I still absolutely love this card and that Roger Craig's passing while sad gives me a time and an opportunity to share it with you Dodgers make it back to the World Series again Craig returns to the World Series again 1956 no match this time Yankees beat him like this time they beat him in seven uh, Craig gets one start and one relief appearance, takes a loss in his start, and then comes in to relieve an ineffective Don Newcomb in Game 7 and is even more ineffective than Newcomb, surrendering four runs without even getting an out. In 57, Roger Craig hurts his arm, goes from being a hard-throwing pitcher to being more of a control pitcher, someone who spotted his pitches and changed speeds, moved the ball around. 57, 58, like I said, he missed most of the seasons. Makes the journey west when the Dodgers move out to L.A. for 59. Is on another World Series winner as the Dodgers win the 59 series against the go-go Chicago White Sox. He's with them 60, 61. After 1961, the Dodgers expose... Roger Craig to the expansion draft. You might remember that draft. Baseball expanded heading into the 1962 season, adding the Houston Colt 45s and, of course, the New York Metropolitans. So let's take a look at a Roger Craig card. 1962 tops. God, that's a uh, Roger, you get a face only a mother could love. 62 sets grown on me. 
the wood grain, the little folding, curling up like it was a thing that was like posted, glued to a, a fence or something. It's grown on me over the years. Um, and I'm guessing they didn't even have to do any kind of paint job on his uni because the Dodger blue pinstriping that is on the collar of his uh, jersey would have been the same that the Mets had that same blue. Craig is taken third by the Mets, sixth overall. First pick for the Mets, Hobie Landreth, catcher from the San Francisco Giants. Second by the Mets, they pick infielder Elio Chasson, who would have been heading into his third year, get him from the Reds, played 60 and 61 with the Reds, played 62 with the Mets, and then he's out of baseball. Three seasons, that's it. So Roger Craig is third pick by the expansion Mets, number six overall. Who is taking number five overall? I accept it was wonderful. Taking one ahead of him by the Colt 45s infielder, Bob Lillis. Why does that matter? Well, Bob Lillis and Roger Craig went way back. They were in the Dodgers system together. They coached together once both of them were done with baseball. They were both in the uh, Astros organization. And when Roger Craig gets the job with San Francisco Giants, who does he bring on as his bench coach? Who was his bench coach all those years? He's the Giants manager, comes on the tail end of 85, but really, let's say 86 through 92, right by his side. Bob Lillis. I got a kick out of that. I never knew Lillis was taking one pick ahead of Craig. So after Craig spends 62, and in 63, he's traded from the Mets to St. Louis. 64, goes back to the World Series again against the Yankees again. Wins another ring. Not bad, Roger Craig. You've got a ring in 55. You've got a ring in 59. You've got a ring in 64. Plus, you played in the World Series in 56. And that's pretty impressive. Pretty, pretty good. So he's got three World Series. Is that right? Yeah. 55, 59. 64. Getting near the end of his career, though, he starts to bounce around. 65, 66. He's with Cincinnati and Philly, but always had a head for the game. Always a student of pitching. Ends up back in the Dodgers organization. Uh, after he finally retires, he's doing some like, um, uh, like a minor league pitching uh, instructor. Gets his first shot to be a big league pitching coach, 1969, with the expansion San Diego Padres. Later holds the same job, pitching coach for the Houston Astros. 1978, he's back with the Padres as their pitching coach. Alvin Dark, manager, fired. Who's brought on? None other than the Humbaby. Gets his first shot as a big league manager. 78 and 79 with the pods. He's fired, but that's when things take off for him. Sparky Anderson knows Roger Craig, knows pitching. Hires him 1980 to be the pitching coach for the Detroit Tigers. 80, 81, 82, 83. Their pitching gets better each and every year. And finally, 1984, it all comes together. That season between 
Jack Morris, future Hall of Famer Jack Morris, and Dan Petrie, the number two on the staff, the two combined to win 37 games. And what is the pitch they are throwing? Well, it's none less, nothing less than what they call the pitch of the 1980s, the split-fingered fastball. Shown it right here, right? You grabbed it with the seams. Every Everyone was throwing this pitch. Everyone was trying to throw this pitch. I remember sitting in the dugout in Babe Ruth League trying to spread my fingers out wide to see if I like oh, stretch your fingers out. That, that'll work. Yeah, so I, I could learn to throw the split finger fastball. You grabbed it with the seams that you see on the camera outside of the seams. Middle finger, sign of rest in the, on the ball and thumb on the ball. Got a four digits touching the ball, of course. And you threw it just like a fastball. But the thing is, at about 55 feet, the bottom just fell out of it. So it really wasn't a fastball. It was more of an off-speed pitch. Man, everybody was throwing this pitch in the 80s. The split-fingered fastball. 55 feet, bottom just dropped out. Ground ball city. One of the most famous students of the split-fingered fastball, remember Mike Scott? Mike Scott in 1984 wins five games, seeks out Roger Craig in the offseason. 1985, he wins 18 games. 1986, Mike Scott wins the Cy Young Award, throwing the split finger fastball. But what's, what's trippy is it's really fallen out of fashion. People say there's an injury risk, and I don't exactly know. Maybe it's something to do with arm velocity because if you throw it just like a fastball it shouldn't have any increased risk it's not a, a screwball there's no there's no torque on the arm or the elbow either way it's really just a straight straight release but if, anyway it fell out of vogue but man the 1980s and the split fingered fastball so Craig's feeling pretty good about himself. 1984, Tigers win the World Series. He is the pitching guru with the pitch of the 80s. Goes to Tiger owner, also Domino's Pizza Magnet, Tom Monahan. Says Tom, man, I want to raise. Monahan says no dice. And Roger Craig says. Well, I retire. So he walks away. Walks away a champion. So we think Monaghan like, just decides to prove a point. Doesn't pay. Doesn't want to pay Roger Craig. Who knows why? Not to this day do we know why he didn't pay Roger Craig. But you know what? The Tigers' loss is my Giants' gain. That was a dark, dark time in baseball for the San Francisco Giants. 1984, they go 66 and. 96, 1985, let's say it is the nadir of my adolescent Giants experience. Giants go 62 and 100, doesn't it? Oh, if your team's ever lost 100, it's just like 99, okay, it's just a horrible, 100, you're sort of like a laughing stock. Oh my God, I lost 100 games. It was so, so, so painful. Ay, 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 ay. Like the Jim Davenport, Danny Ozark, just dark days. But with about 18 games left, September 1985, Giants bring in Roger Craig. Little did we know things are about to get much better. 1986. 
just feels a little different. There's this new Roger Craig energy going around. A lot of enthusiasm, good with the young players. Giants team motto. I'm going to show you not one, not two, not three. I'm going to show you four Giants pins from the Spinrad collection hidden deep in the bowels of my personal archives. Take a look at this 1986 Giants team motto, top left-hand corner. You got to like these kids, and I did like them. I'm 15 years old, and we got us some young talent. Most notably, we've got Will Clark. Will the thrill. What does Will Clark do in his first at-bat as a big leader? April 1986, Houston Astrodome, Houston, Texas, the opener. Who's on the hill for the Astros? April, the opener, 1986. You got to know it's Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan is on a number two. I'm sorry. I don't know Mike Scott's going to win this. Young, but Nolan Ryan is your number one. He is the ace. Will Clark doesn't care. Will Clark gets in there first at bat. Top of the first inning. His first swing as a big leaner <laughs> against Nolan Lynn. Ryan, what does he do? He crushes a home run to center field. Will Clark, first big league at bat and becomes the 11th big leaguer in his first swing to Homer. And he homers off Nolan freaking Ryan. I remember that. I remember my mom and dad, it was their, their, it was their turn to host their, their poker game. So everyone was hanging out. I always loved my parents hosted poker games because a uh, couple reasons. Number one, uh, there's always like really good food. They get like stuff that we never got to eat, like just awesome. And they had friends who were in the restaurant business and they'd always like be bringing over platters of food from the Hilltop Cafe. And so they were like the head chef was there and the man, the, like the executive, uh, what's it called? The, this head manager of the restaurant and and there was also, that was the first reason, the delicious food. They're like kind of hanging out, not partying too hard. It's a weeknight, but they're you know, maybe having a few drinks, doing their thing. It's the 80s. And then I always remember there was this this woman. Her name was, I think it was Marlene. And she owned a bar in Nevada called The Bit of Honey. And I'm 15 years old and like, you know, 15-year-old, man. <laughs> you got a lot of hormones at that age. And there was this bartender, not a bartender, she was a bar owner named Marlene and she was part of the group and and she used to always flirt with me and like you know what's that line from uh 48 hours like I get my dick get high when the wind blow that was me man Marlene owned the bit of honey bar in Nevada I mean she used to flirt with me um I haven't thought about that in a long time mm -mm, good times anyway Will Clark Giants who is another star rookie for that Giants team? Second baseman, Robert Thompson. You remember Robert Thompson finishes second in the Cy Young. Uh, Cy Young. So I'm thinking about Marley. Let me come back. Slow it down. Take a deep breath. Robbie Thompson finishes second in the NL Rookie of the Year award balancing behind Todd Worrell. Interestingly, Will Clark finishes Fifth, Barry Bonds finishes sixth in the 86 Rookie of the Year. Worrell, closer for the Cardinals. Remember him? Early fire breather. 
What a fun season. 86. All of a sudden, we can have pride. 87. 87. It got even better. 87. Oh, my God. There's the Hum Baby. A Hum Baby became this slogan. The original Hum Baby was the Giants' third-string catcher, a guy named Brad Golden. Third stringer behind Brenly and Bob Melvin. And uh, he just, he like, yeah, he's a hum baby. And just because this thing Craig would say when a guy was just a scrapper or hustling or encouragement, hum baby just took off. Everyone's like, hum baby. With my buddies talking, hum baby. Giants would come in with a W, hum baby. Just super, super, super fun. You see that button in the top right hand corner of your screen, hum baby. It's going to be fun. And oh my goodness, it certainly was. Giants go 90 and 72 couple of great acquisitions during the season in July. As mentioned in an earlier episode, they pick up lefty starter Dave Dravecki, reliever lefty Craig Lefferts, who was real good for them. And of course, they get real, real strong. They get rid of Chris Brown and they add Kevin Mitchell to play third base. Mitchell, of course, later moves to the outfield when Matt Williams is ready for the show. But then he's playing third the next month in August from the Pittsburgh Pirates, Giants add Don Robinson, the caveman who was real good for them. Robinson was a great, fantastic hitting pitcher. And a little bit later in August, they also from the Pittsburgh Pirates are pilfering the Pirates. They get Don Robinson and they get big daddy Rick Russell. All of a sudden, the Giants have pitching. Dravecki, Robinson, Russell, Lefferts, and they are ready. They clinch it in San Diego. The caveman, Don Robinson, comes in out of the pen, pitches five innings, only allows one run. After four innings, Craig stays with him. Could you imagine that now? Yeah, go out there again. (laughs) And he does. And then when he comes up to bat again, uh, he homers. So the Giants actually beat the Padres on a Don Robinson. It wasn't, wasn't a, a bottom of the ninth home run there in San Diego, but the, the margin was a Don Robinson home run. I remember that celebration or part. I screamed with my brother and my dad in the living room and then uh, watching them celebrate in the clubhouse. Like, I remember Will Clark, boy, he could pepper it. He could lace those profanities on camera. The celebrate and pain in the clubhouse. Oh my God. That was a great time. Didn't last that long though. Giants would lose in seven to the St. Louis Cardinals to this day, man. Giants are up three games to two in the series and then the bats go cold. They fail to score a run after the fourth inning of game five. Giants lose game six, one to nothing. Remember when Candy Maldonado, ah, to this day, Candy Maldonado like loses the ball and goes in. It's like cockamamie slide. Guy gets a triple. Damn you, Candy Maldonado. Giants lose game seven, six to nothing. I remember feeling a little bit of joy when the Twins beat the Cardinals. <laughs> you know, like your team loses to another team, but then that team loses to another team. Like, yeah, yeah, good. Twins won the World Series that year, but it was still super, super fun. 1988, they kind of try to run it back. Look at the button in your bottom left-hand corner. Hum, baby, let's do it again. I kind of think of the 88 season as the the Rocky II of... Uh, 
of these Giants teams. Rocky was hum baby. It's going to be fun. Rocky three is I feel good. 1989 in your bottom right. 1988 Giants still have a winning record. They go 83 and 79 again, but this time they finish fourth. Nothing that exciting to report, although 88 tops is the rookie card of Matt Williams. I remember that. Then we go 89, Giants win the West again, 90 and 72 to the World Series after a great LCS against the Cubs. That was covered on an earlier episode when Will Clark just devastated. I think he went 12 for 20, crushed it. Wins MVP, 89 Earthquake, of course, 89 World Series. It hurt, but. 2010 made it all feel better. Craig will stay with him. 1990, 1991, and 1992. After 1992, right when the Giants actually were threatening to move to St. Petersburg, Peter McGowan, Safeway, new ownership group comes in. They save the day, and it's time for a new regime. Roger Craig is out. Dusty Baker is in. Giants Sign Barry Bonds, and the rest is history, as they say, a new chapter in Giants history. But for that period, from 86 to 92, particularly that run, 86, 87, 88, 89, man, it was so fun to be a Giants fan. Guys like Mike Kruko, Dravecki, Scotty Gereltz, Will Clark, Robbie Thompson, Jose Uribe, Mitchell, Matt Williams, Chili Davis out in center field. Oh, let's not forget the hack man, Jeffrey Leonard, who wins NLCS MVP in 1987 in a losing cause. Interesting fact, that happened back-to-back, 1986 against the Mets, Houston pitcher, Mike Scott also won the MVP. That's called the Jerry West effect, winning the MVP in a losing cause. Anyway, that's it for now. I can't believe I pulled this off. I had very little research on this when I woke up. Just put it back because the hum baby deserves the very best for what he gave to baseball with the split finger, what he gave to Giants fans, what he gave to me. Really fun. Great to remember Marlene from the Bit of Honey and those poker nights. Good memories. I will be back Friday with an episode about Bowie Coon. How do you say that? Bowie Coon? Bowie Coon? Whatever. Until then, thank you so much for joining me. And until I see you again, may you be blessed. And may you enjoy health and long life. So long for now.